Look at my butt. Show number 224 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. On this beautiful summer day, we are both inside. Yeah. <laughs> doing, a podcast. doing a podcast. Okay, before we get to the fun stuff. Oh, okay. um, I want to say two things. One is that I'm very sorry that I screwed up the audio in the last show. Um, it was a cut and paste error on my part, and oh. everything got slightly out of sync. But I fixed it, and I re-uploaded the episode. So, oh, okay. Um, if people want to hear it without the weird non-synchronization, the better version is up now. So, oh, sorry about okay. that. Well, it it was corrected partway through. Yeah, it was because yeah. I had to. I was cutting out some background noise, and then I got it synced up. But I didn't. I hadn't realized when I did that I had accidentally jostled one of the audio tracks and it got out. Okay. So that was a mistake. Okay. And then I also wanted to apologize because in listening to that particular podcast, I must have said the word amazing about 57 times. And by the end of the podcast, I was so sick of listening to myself <laughs> say the word amazing that I need to put a ban on it so I don't say it anymore. It's okay, bad well, habit. Bad um, habit. <laughs> the thing I say all the time, and I hear this in every podcast, and I want to slap myself, is Here's the thing. <laughs> Stop it! Well, we can we can be on each other for both of those verbal okay. texts because they're very bad. That, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say at least neither one of us says amongst. Oh no! Or you know those sort of words, which I just it, oh, I hate them. <laughs> hate that word. I hate that word. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, your your um, here's the thing. It reminds me very much of our friend Logan, who likes to say, um, when he's explaining something, he'll say, "It's reasons. Uh, this thing happens, and it always happens like this, and it's the right thing to do. And here's why. <laughs> that that's his lead into. Now I'm going to tell you the truth about. Okay. This, and here's <laughs> that, why. That's his lead into mansplaining. Oh, but he doesn't mansplain. I know. He never does. I but, know. But yeah, he's I love a sweetheart. When he says, and here's why, and I go, ah, you said it again. And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, you always say that. It's like he needs a little drum roll. He and does. He and really here's does. why. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So now you have yet another, it's a present, and it is a just a petite bagatelle. I saw it on Etsy, and I thought it was so cute, and I'd never seen anything quite like it, so I purchased it from Ireland, and yes. they, they mailed it to you, and it took quite a while to get there, but now well, it's yes. there. Well, yes, there are five stamps on it with the, <laughs> the queen on all of them. Mm -hmm. um, I want to read the return address before I even oh, open please. this. It's from Sender at Irish Barn Vintage, 24 Old Shore Road, Carrick Fergus. Oh, Carrick Fergus. Wow. I guess that's the name of the town. I guess so. So let me see um, if I can get all of this untaped. Oh, here. Yeah. I just had to untape one edge, and I can, looks like I can slide it out. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's wrapped up in paper. It is a postcard, and I'm going to flip it over and yeah. look at it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> Yes, this is a, an early shot, publicity shot. He's wearing mm -hmm. the shirt from Where No Man. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he's, he's like sort of mildly eye-fucking the camera. Yeah, he's got but a little smirk got, on, little smirk. Yeah, a little smirk on and dirt, like a lot of dirt around his face and on 
the the shirt so maybe mm-hmm. this was the day they were filming a fight scene but um it's got this weirdo green background and it has the fakest autograph on it i've oh. ever seen completely completely fake it's i believe it was a black and white photo that someone did a really oh. bad job of uh coloring you're right but this this um autograph looks like it was written by a penmanship instructor it does it totally does it's so so very fake so i liked the fake signature i thought that was good the background being green which is not like anything that exists in star trek (laughs) or in nature or nature (laughs) of course but i just love the little expression on his face and he's kind of got that crooked grin thing going yes 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 to me it's it's very much a picture of Bill and not a picture of Captain Kirk. It's like he's oh, in yeah. his Captain Kirk uniform, but he's just, it's just Bill. It's, Bill. it's just Bill. Yes, yes. And I want to tell you, this is from Classic Cards, and Classic is spelled K-L-A-S-I-K. Oh. <laughs> and Cards is spelled with a K. That is so delightful. Well, Thank I, you. Oh, you're very welcome. I saw They're it. They're standing I, it up. So I was just like, that is such a cool thing. I never saw it before. And I think we may have seen that picture, uh, you know, in, in its black and white form. But it didn't really look familiar to me. And I just loved that he's, you know, doing that look. And he's got those dreamy eyes. Oh, and, yes, yes, know. yes. Well, thank you. I propped it up here so he's watching me podcast. Oh, good. That's good. I will I will definitely put the image up on the show notes so everybody can see what it looks like. Okay, cool. Very cool. Thank you yeah. so much. Oh, oh, you're welcome. welcome. You are welcome. So no more presents until Christmas. Oh, okay. no, that's not true, though. I'll probably find something cool to bring for September. I'm okay, sure well, you already know for Christmas, you're getting fish scale socks. <laughs> those are cool. I like those. Oh, okay. <laughs> They're, uh, they they do look a little creepy, but I like them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> they make your feet look like mermaids. I know, yeah. <laughs> so it's like two mermaids, you know, are eating up, you're eating their way up your leg or something. So the, for listeners, these are socks I saw an ad for on Facebook, you know, how arbitrary ads show up. And they must have noticed with their spying techniques that at a certain point I have bought socks online mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. And these are ones that are like fish scales. And I thought they were so creepy. So yeah, that's uh well, I would wear them. If you buy them, I will wear them. <laughs> well, now that you know about it, I'm going to have to find something even weirder. Oh, like, okay. You know, I don't, I don't know what I'll come up with. Porcupine <laughs> ones that have things sticking out of them. Uh, okay. Let's see. We have a bunch of stuff, a whole bunch yes. of stuff to talk about. Let's talk about um, the, the Vulcan mortgage ads. Okay. Those were delightful. <laughs> um, they were, except I thought both the Vulcans sounded more like uh, Data than Vulcans. Mm, uh, okay. I could see that. I could see that. I, I liked the little touches in their houses. Mm-hmm. So this is a commercial that's, uh, I guess, on TV, or maybe it's only on the interwebs. I'm not really I sure. haven't seen it on TV. Somebody posted this um, on uh, the Shatner Facebook. Mm, okay. And at the end is a thing for, see, Star Trek Beyond. So it's like Rocket Mortgage has tied into mm-hmm. that to 
but these are great commercials on their own. They don't need Star Trek Beyond. I mean, everybody knows who Vulcans are. Yeah, um, and the first there are two commercials so far, and the first one is a, a husband and wife, and they're just uh, saying that the place that they live in is too small and they need to get a bigger place. And they're just, you know, all the doors have the swish, and they open yes. the Star Trek doors, and their little dog has a Vulcan haircut, which I thought was <laughs> yes. so, so cute. In the second one, there were a lot of good things. The second one is just the husband talking about his life and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, things like we've been married for, what, 104 (laughs) Earth years or something. Yes. And um, I really wish, though, I think they missed a trick, but maybe they thought it was too obscure, to use uh, Quatlus when talking about the money. Or or um good. or what is it pieces of latinum or yes, something? Yes, cold pressed latinum. Gold pressed yes, latinum. yes. And I guess to have referred to, you know, uh, I've loved my wife since the day I first went into Ponfar and saw her. <laughs> that would be too obscure too. But they're, they're very there's nice little touches. They are. I really yeah. like those. So that was that's very cute. You know, as you say, they they could have done that completely without the Star Trek Beyond references. They mm-hmm. could have just done it, and loads of people would have gotten it and laughed. So good for them. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So speaking of Star Trek Beyond. Yes. Let's get this out of the way. Absolutely. I, as I said to you in the email, I took one for the team. You and did. I watched all three of the Star Trek Beyond trailers. And I have watched none, so. You, well, you don't have to. <laughs> it evens out. <laughs> I have done it. Okay. The, the first one was out quite a while ago, and it's, the soundtrack for it is the Beastie Boys Sabotage, which they used in the, uh, the other movie that we saw. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of explosions, and there's no plot line to it whatsoever. It's <gasps> basically just things exploding. Okay, yeah. put that aside. Okay. The second and third ones, which have come out much more recently, actually try to show you what the storyline might be. Oh, so the first one, that's that one that came out and everybody hated it, including correct. Simon Pegg? That okay. is correct. So All right. you can see that they said, well, maybe we should try to put some story into it. So you the think? yeah the the second and third ones show you a little more of the plot of the movie which is it looks like um, there are some aliens and uh, okay well big spoiler the Enterprise gets destroyed no they blow it right the hell up yeah oh my god so that happens and it. <laughs> basically just gets blown into a million pieces and I thought wow so the third movie they're already destroying the Enterprise that's mm-hmm. that's one it wasn't the enough original. they destroyed Vulcan right they had to <laughs> do the Enterprise as well so that happens and then they crash land on a planet and there are some bad aliens and some good aliens and the good aliens I think are the black and white ones that you see in some of the advertising and uh, there's a woman who plays the main black and white alien okay oh yeah I've seen the poster and when you said the black and white ones I was thinking oh my god that horrible episode with Frank Gorshin is there but you know <laughs> no, and now no, I know what like you're that. meaning you know, they, okay yes yes really elaborate looking makeup and, and and I gotta say that poster is such a ripoff mm. Of uh, TMP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, oh, they, my God. Yeah. I, I, I think they would call it an homage. Yeah, I'm sure they would. So there's that, and then something has to be resolved, and I don't know. Anyway, so that's the conflict thing that happens. And there's a, still explosions and some funny stuff. There's a lot of people falling off of things. But here's the thing that really bugged me. So let's just talk about it for a minute, and then I'll okay. shut up about it. <laughs> okay. There is a scene right at the very beginning where we see Captain Kirk talking to Dr. McCoy. 
and they look like they're in 10 forward or something. I don't know. They're having a little drink and they're having a heart to heart. And McCoy says to him, um, I know first Kirk says, my father joined Starfleet because he believed in it. I joined it on a dare. And I guess that's true. Well, yeah, in the universe they've set up. He joined it on a dare. Okay. Uh, yeah, I believe that um uh who I'm I'm blanking on the actor and the character name, but in the scene in the bar, mm -hmm. um he says something like your father was a Starfleet captain for Yeah, Pike says that to Pike, him. Yeah, yeah, for 6 minutes and saved this many lives including yours. I'm pretty sure he says I dare you to try to to do as well or something okay like that. all right so literally okay. he did it on a dare i but, think we can let that slide okay the, the fact that he that's the way he still thinks about why he joined starfleet mm -hmm. is very annoying to me yes you know maybe he started maybe he wanted to join starfleet because pike dared him to do it but that's it he didn't find anything else in it like mm -hmm. Once he was enrolled, it wasn't because it changed his life and it turned him around and it gave him purpose and all the rest of it. And he found out who he was. Yeah, yeah. nothing like that. Okay, so whatever. And then McCoy says to him, you spent all this time trying to be your father. Now it's time for you to find out who you really are. And I said to myself, self, <laughs> was that actually true? When did we ever see him trying to be his father? Was yeah. that a plot? Was that a storyline that I somehow completely missed in those two no, movies? No, and in fact, the only reference to his father that I can recall is when he meets uh, old wrinkly Spock uh -huh. and asks him something like, did my, in your timeline, did my father live? Mm -hmm. And old wrinkly Spock said yes, and he saw you either accept, get your first command or graduate from the academy or something. Okay. That's, that's the only mention. That makes absolute, that line of dialogue makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever because nowhere in the first two movies, and God knows I saw that first movie enough times with you mm -hmm. and then watching the Riff Tracks version of it. <laughs> when was he trying to be his father? Never. When? Like, there was nothing in any of his actions or his behavior or his personality in either of those two movies that suggested either directly or indirectly as a subtext that he was trying to live up to his father at all. Mm -hmm. It's not there. It is just not there. So no. for that to be a line of dialogue that McCoy says that's actually featured in the trailer mm -hmm. seems like just invented of whole cloth. Well, yeah. And that really annoys me. You know, there are a lot of other things they could have said, and they chose to invent something that previously hasn't existed. Mm -hmm. So that really, really bugs me. Well, well, it should. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's buggy. <laughs> it is very buggy. It is not a feature. It's a bug. It's the, a bug. The one thing that they did do, and this is not apparent from the photographs, but they definitely styled Chris Pine's hair to look more like Bill's hair. <gasps> they, they gave him the comb over with the little swooshy thing in the front. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I don't know what that's about. But, yes, I looked at it. I was like, whoa, they changed it's, his hair Is this Is this going to be the movie where he finds out he's William Shatner? <laughs> Maybe. And not Chris Pot well hmm. that um, would be good, but I don't think that's gonna happen. So that these things happen in the second and third trailer? Yes, that's okay. Correct. There's a little I did not bother to watch this in case if it's a real clip or not, but somebody had posted something. It has a photo with it 
of Spock and McCoy talking, but I thought I cannot even bear to go look at this. <laughs> but it said something like, in the new movie, Spock asks uh, McCoy for dating advice. Oh, yeah. I saw a little animated gif from that. And I went, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm still not going to see the movie, but Mm-mm. I watched the trailer again, so you don't have to. That was that was mighty, mighty, mighty big of you. <laughs> All mighty right. generous. So please let's stop talking about the new movie. Okay. Well, there's one more thing we do need to talk about. Yeah, what's that? Anton Yelchin. Oh, my God. Oh, so tragic. I know. So incredibly tragic. And how old was he, 27? Yes, I think that was it. Because oh. somebody said... He another one succumbs to the curse of twenty seven because mm-hmm. you know Janis Joplin and Jimi yeah. Hendrix and I think Jim Morrison were all twenty seven when they died. So, um, but here's the thing. See, I just said it. Here's the thing. Um, I had never seen him in anything other than Star Trek, mm-hmm. and everybody's saying, "Oh, he was so." gifted and had so much to give and I was talking to people and they said oh yeah go look at this movie and this movie and this movie so you know I've probably got a little watching to do but all I had seen him do was that and when I saw the pictures of him that they were you know showing with the announcement of his death he looked I would never have went oh that's Chekhov Totally agree. Yes, he they made Chekhov look like about twelve years old, and yeah. this actually, you know, is a very, very good-looking guy. But you know, he looks like he's in his late twenties. Mm-hmm. You know, so yep, I thought the same thing, and I thought I don't ever remember seeing him in anything, and I bet I have seen him and didn't realize that it was actually him. Quite possible. Yeah, so that's very sad because now they can't have that character, obviously, in any of the the new movies and and I just wonder how the cast will feel with this giant hole in their ensemble you know clearly they'd love to make more movies but that's going to be very very difficult and for all of them it seems that they were deeply affected just as his friends that they've mm-hmm. been through so much filming these three movies right, together right. and doing all the publicity and that it it seemed just really awful for them do you think they will make more movies and just have somebody else be the navigator and maybe have it not be as prominent a role or hmm. it would be a big mistake to just recast Chekhov. Oh yeah. I don't think they could do that. If, if they wanted to be fair about it, they could write out his character heroically. Yes. And not have to show it on screen. You know, they mm-hmm. could, do something where there's some kind of crisis or space battle and it would come in that you know he was the first officer on some other ship and died heroically in battle and that would be wouldn't even have to die he would just go to another ship yeah that's true they could do that yeah so people are wondering if they're gonna have anything special about the new movie that acknowledges it besides a like a dedicated to kind of thing because And, and that's what they are doing i know they're doing that much yeah. I saw something about it. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, that was really sad. And also, you know, the way he died in that horrible freak accident sounds just horrific, <sighs> like awful. You could never imagine that happening. No. No, that's horrible. Yeah. Oh, so. Very, very sad. Yeah. Okay. Um, Where do you want to go next? Uh, I am looking. I am looking. Well, let's briefly talk about this opera. 
Oh, yeah, let's do that. Star Trek is invading the opera world. <laughs> um, they did or are doing, because this is a fairly recent article, June 21st, um, you see Santa Cruz, which is <laughs> not too far from you. Yeah. Uh, affiliated professors and staff are boldly going where no one has gone uh-huh. before by taking Star Trek into the high culture realm of arias and recitatives. So they've done an opera here. And this one's in English. I was going to say, not to be confused with the Klingon space opera, which was totally different. Right. Um, let's see. Oh, here we go. A free workshop performance of the first act of the opera with an orchestra and electronic backup takes place June 26. So obviously missed that. But mm-hmm. it's a workshop performance presents first act. It's a way to try out and gather information. It is directed by John Delancey. That is so cool. I'm I'm just thrilled that he's associated with this. And it is based on the Menagerie Mm -hmm. um, episode. It's called Menagerie, the Trial of Spock. (laughs) The Trial of Spock. Um, The first act ran just 45 minutes. Uh, It had no uh, special effects or anything like that. Let's see. Oh, the opera has deep roots that go all the way back to the tumultuous 1960s when one of the project's creators, renowned plant biologist and science writer Lincoln Taze, now an emeritus professor at UC Santa Cruz, became a lifelong Trekkie. He wrote the libretto for the opera along with his wife, Lee. Early in the writing process, David Cope, a longtime friend of Taze in the UC Santa Cruz Music Department, suggested fellow UC Santa Cruz professor of music Ben Carson as a possible composer for the Star Trek opera. Carson liked the idea, and soon he and Taze joined forces and became fast friends. They also had some help from Pierre DiCarlo, who's involved in the film industry. Um, it says he takes it seriously, but he has a droll wit and a wistful quality. Um, he says, that this is nice. As a kid, I watched Flash Gordon with Buster Crab as Flash on our old black and white TV. Kirk, to me, was a more sophisticated, mm-hmm. tongue-in-cheek version of Flash. Of course, the USS Enterprise, with its sleek design, huge on-deck viewing screens, and mind-bending warp drive, was a much cooler ship than that old clunker Flash used, which tended to jiggle on its string as it sped <laughs> toward the planet Mongo. This is, this is very true. And uh, Delancey was the one who first suggested staging the workshop, and he offered to come to Santa Cruz and help them pull it off. Well, and, who wouldn't want to go to Santa Cruz? It's beautiful. Oh, it really is. Um, and it, they say even before the writing began, the first major hurdle was to get permission to proceed with the project from the owner of the copyright CBS. This was somewhat nerve-wracking. <laughs> this is Tay's talking. But in the end, we got what we wanted. CBS signed off on the condition that the opera adaptation was not a money-making adventure. <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in the second half of the show, yes. the, the guidelines, because that is extremely interesting. Right. Um, and now the, the question they say is, how do we get this produced? It's said that the two most expensive things in the world are war and opera. <laughs> That's really funny. I never heard that before. <laughs> Me neither, but I do like it. Um, opera companies tend to play it safe by sticking with the tried and true, but they realize an opera based on Star Trek has the advantage that as a modern American myth, it comes with a ready-made <laughs> fan base. Yes, it does. So the first step is to bring it to the attention of various opera companies but the thing that I think would um, might 
be the real sticking point is not that it's a Star Trek opera, but that, you know, if you make one dime, mm-hmm. everything changes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, I, I, so I see at the very end of this article, which I hadn't quite seen before, uh, the first step is to bring the opera to the attention of various opera companies through personal contacts and through a video that will be shot of the June 26th performance oh. and made available online. So I wonder if that's going to be available to everybody or whether it's going to be protected or something. So we'll have to see if we can find it because that would be so cool. Well, yes. I want to see it. That would that would be great. Yeah. So we'll look for that. We'll see if we can find it. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. Oh, my God, I said it. I said the word amazing. Oh, <laughs> it must stop. This must stop. Oh. Okay, here's the thing. You have to stop saying amazing. <laughs> All right. You know, okay. when we get together and do this in person, I think we have to give each other permission to, like, slap each other on the hands. When oh, we do I want little thing. electric shocks. That's so much more scientific. Oh, like in the 10th level? Let yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Well, I do want to talk about all the fan film guidelines, but that's kind of a a long discussion. Do you want to talk about the the baffled thing? Yes. This is on MeTV. I love MeTV. And it's uh, it's, uh, this other website, 15 Fascinating Failed TV Pilots (laughs) of the 1970s. Leonard Nimoy is a psychic car racer. Desi Arnaz is a crime-solving doctor. Well, the picture they have is from the... the Nimoy one. Oh my God, it's amazing! Oh, don't say amazing. It's crazy. It's so crazy. It really, really is crazy. He's got his hand, his fist crossed in front of him, and there's like flames coming out of them. And in the flames, on one side, a race car is about to drive into a woman's head, and on the other side is half of a man's face looking concerned, and another woman looking very concerned. So, um. But he's got his fists crossed in front of him like he's Bruce Lee or something. Yes. I, I think that yes. was the intention was to evoke some kind of weird mm-hmm. kung fu-ish thing. And I don't think kung fu has anything to do with this. No. Um, the list is, is pretty incredible. Um, I kind of remember when Madam Sin, they might have shown it just once really? or something or hearing about it. That had Betty Davis as a I... mysterious woman who lives in a Scottish castle and brainwashes a secret agent, Robert Wagner, to hijack a nuclear submarine. Look at her in that little animated gift there. She's got um, uh, very, very long fake lashes and her eye makeup is sky blue. I know. It's it's very outer spacey looking. Yes, but the second one on the list is baffled. <laughs> I think we talked about this a little bit Did when we? somebody yeah, because somebody had put together a list of pilots that Star Trek stars had been in that oh. never got picked up, and and this was one of them. But at the time, I don't think the whole thing was available online, and mm. I've just discovered Googling today that it is. Oh, my goodness. So we can watch this at some point if you want to. It's 90 minutes long, which is an awfully long time to watch something that's, you know, 1973. You know it's going to be slow and plotting. And no bill. And no bill. So mm. maybe we could watch some of it. But it is on YouTube, and I'll put up the link to it in case anybody okay. wants to watch it for us, for example. Well, here's what it says, 1973. The title might have better described the audience, which was used to seeing Nimoy as the cold and logical Spock. 
In Baffled, the actor played a swaggering, swinging race car driver who is granted psychic powers after an accident. Now, that sentence cracks me up. It's like somebody's going around going, oh, you had an accident? Here, I'll grant you some psychic powers. <laughs> he applied. Feel better? He applied for the psychic powers. They oh, were giving out grants. It was a grant. Year. It was course. a grant. Of yeah. course. Okay. Able to foresee murder. But only murder, nothing else. Nothing else. He teams with an occult psychiatrist, Susan Hampshire. Isn't she English? Yes. Okay, I thought so. She, she was, was in a bunch of Disney movies that I loved yeah, when I was a kid. Yeah, she was also in, in some, uh, she might have been in Poldark or, or The Palacers mm, or, or some like, of those yeah, other costume yeah. dramas. Yeah. Anyway, they get together to solve crimes. To solve crimes. Awesome. Wow. And it didn't get picked up. I can't imagine why. I can't imagine why. <laughs> After they put all the time and into, you know, uh, filming 90 minutes of it, it would be worth watching a little bit to see Nimoy playing a swaggering, swinging race yes, car driver. Because that driver. seems more like a bill role. It, it totally does. So, yes, I would like to see it just to see his portrayal. And I think in the clip that we'd seen when we talked about this previously, the this I, special effect, I'm putting that in quotes, uh -huh. when he gets one of his psychic visions was hilariously hand-fisted. Oh. It, was, it was like, bong. Oh, and, yeah, and the yes. screen went red or something. I'm remembering. Yeah. <laughs> very, very bad. Now, the other two things on the list right below it, numbers three and four, were both Roddenberry productions. And I remember these because I uh -huh. watched them at the time. So one of them was called Genesis 2. Which here is described as the plot of Futurama <laughs> done decades earlier. <laughs> Again, Roddenberry was ahead of his time. Yeah. Uh, so there Just was, was using the wrong media. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. See, I said it. In the picture, Genesis 2, isn't that a picture of uh, Mary, what's her name? Oh, uh, Mariette Hartley? And yes, isn't that her? I think that is Mariette Hartley. Wow, she's got a lot of hair there. She looks yeah. kind of Raquel Welchish. Yeah. In a, in a little bikini. Yeah. The other one is called The Quester Tapes, and I definitely remember watching that, and I, I think they made a couple of episodes of that because, uh, oh, four pilot films, none of them made it to series. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe there were more than one, but I remember watching it. It's about an android. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I saw that. And then of these others that, that are listed here, there's Dr. Domingo. Uh, with Desi Arnaz and uh, Raymond Burr, I guess. Isn't that a <laughs> yeah, picture of Raymond Burr? That's yeah. who it sure looks like. Evil Knievel, Kelly's Kids, Men of the Dragon, Mrs. Sundance. I remember seeing that. that I remember existed. that movie, the oh, TV man. movie of that, yes. Skin Game, Cover Girls, Exo Man, Spectre, and then Doctor Strange, which I actually watched recently because. It, there's a bootleg version available of it and we, mm. we sat down and watched it and it was awful really 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 bad and then this last one starstruck which looks like it's got some really awful star wars ripoff doesn't robots. it yes yeah. that yes. looks bad um what's the one i wanted to talk about for a minute skin game mm -hmm. still shows up on tv Really? That movie? Yes, I've seen it, like, uh, listing when I'm surfing, when I'm, you know, channel surfing. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh-huh. Larry Hagman was in it, too. James Garner and Lou Gossett, Jr. Yeah. As long as they have the rights to it, I guess they'll just keep showing it forever. Right, right. Oh, well, here it is. The movie was James Garner and Lou Gossett, Jr. Oh. That's what keeps showing up. The TV thing, I was confused, with Larry Hagman, and it doesn't tell us who uh, played 
the the Lou Gossett role, does it? Hmm. Hmm. You know, okay. I, here's the thing I don't understand though. So this is at the MeTV website, mm-hmm. and it doesn't say whether any of these things that they've just discussed are actually shown on MeTV. Yeah, you'd think that they would say that because if they could get it, why wouldn't they show it? There'd be lots of people interested in this. Oh yeah. Hmm. Well, they do have, their thing now is they have like these marathons where they're showing nothing but certain things. And maybe they're going to have one where they show pilots that didn't get picked up. That would be great. I would love to watch that. Well, I remember maybe it was when I was a teenager or something in the summer. You know, that's how the Smothers Brothers show got started as a Mm -hmm. summer replacement. It was a huge hit. But uh, some of the networks showed just those single episode pilots that didn't get picked up. Mm-hmm. Well, they should do it on MeTV. Mm-hmm. That would be really good. The one here that sounds like, okay, I couldn't even watch two minutes of it, <laughs> is Kelly's Kids. Yeah, that's with Ken Berry, right? Yeah. Yeah. He never really did anything good after... F Troop. F Troop, thank you. <laughs> I couldn't remember it for a second. I oh, F-troop. man, we loved F Troop. We used to watch that all the time. It was great. And and now that I look back on it, incredibly racist towards Native Americans. But oh, there you oh go. yeah. That was, that was the 60s. You mm-hmm. know, I, I meant to mention I was reading a book the other day, and I found out that the guy who was responsible for celebrity bowling also yes. had a show called Celebrity Tennis. Oh. <laughs> But now I got to know, was Bill on Celebrity Tennis? So I, oh, I have to find yeah. out because that Bill in tennis shorts playing tennis, he probably plays tennis really badly, and that would be very amusing to watch. Well, I was just going to say, as uh, painful as it is to watch people bowling badly, to watch people simply never being able to return anything, <laughs> that would that would almost be torture well unless they were hilariously funny about it and yes. tantrums and stuff because that that could be good mm-hmm. so we'll have to see i don't know maybe bill yeah. was on celebrity tennis i don't remember celebrity tennis like i vaguely remember celebrity bowling from back in the day but not wow. the tennis do you think they had like celebrity um hurling <laughs> Or curling, whatever curling. it's called. Curling. And, well, they uh, have hurling as well. Yeah, maybe celebrity pool. I bet they did have celebrity pool. <laughs> that would have been cheap to produce, right? No yeah. equipment necessary. Here's the pool table and two cameras. Go. Yes, yes. Wow. All right. Let That's us... what passed for reality TV. Uh, this is right. This is right. <laughs> you know, when I, I was listening to that last show, I totally forgot that we had invented our own reality show called... <laughs> Drunk on Vulcan, which I really, really like. You should develop that and sell it to yeah. the network. I laughed out loud when, when we got to that part because I had forgotten it too. It's a great it's a great title. It's a great premise. Well, you know, there's drunk history and that's a mm-hmm. hit. That is. It's very funny. So yeah, so. drunk on Vulcan. It writes itself. You get drunk people to describe Star Trek episodes. <laughs> It's perfect. It is. And it could have... be the grown-up version of Sarai. Oh, that would be awesome. And <laughs> you'd have to have somebody as T'Pau, though. You'd have to cast just the right person. Well, and the thing is, you know how the, the, the hook on Sarai is that she's little and cute, but she has never seen any of these. Mm-hmm. So you've got to find somebody who's never seen Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Get them drunk. Have them watch episodes and then describe and, them and describe them that would be really good and see Tapau would be the arbiter would be yes, telling absolutely. them whether they passed or failed and if they failed they would be killed so <laughs> it's all good 
You get people to volunteer for that. <laughs> Especially the, if they failed, they would be killed. Sure. Bring on not? the on wound. Yeah. For, for their five minutes of fame, they do it. People wow. do anything. Wow. <laughs> it's our idea. So I'm saying right now, we've copyrighted that idea. That's right. Nobody else can do Nobody Drunken can. Vulcan. But if you guys know somebody who's never seen any Star Trek, who drinks a lot anyway... I mean, we don't want to promote alcoholism or push mm-hmm. it on to someone who's not a big drinker. Um, let us know. We'll make them a star. We will. We absolutely will. Yeah. And on that note, let us take a little break. And, <laughs> okay. and Yeah, and then we'll come back to all of the fan stuff that's happening because this is going to be very, very interesting, and I, I think we, we need to go through it. Yes, we do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Send email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com and leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. And please visit us at the Look at His Butt Facebook page. Ready, set, go! Fan films. There's been a lot of talk about fan films recently. Mostly because Mostly because <laughs> of the, the, the Axanar thing. Yes. Part of... So... The Axanar lawsuit. Incident, let's call it. The incident, yeah, thank you. The incident at Axanar uh, is still going on, and the lawsuit stuff is still proceeding. Discovery is still proceeding. There has been rumors of settlement, but as far as I know, there isn't any actual settlement being discussed right now. One of the things that Alec Peters, as we mentioned in a previous podcast, the guy who's doing Axanar was mm-hmm. saying that he wanted to put together a list of guidelines for fan films. And he started off by saying, oh, yes, I have all these other fan film producers and we're going to band together and do this thing. And all the other fan film people said, sorry, buddy, we don't want any part of this. Right. Yes. So, so he, as far as I know, he never actually put anything together or if he did, it was very vague. But just recently, CBS and Paramount came out with actual fan film guidelines they're calling them guidelines. They're not calling them rules. Mm-hmm. They're not calling them threats. They're just saying, here are the guidelines for uh, avoiding objections. So if you follow these rules, Paramount will not sue you. And they've Maybe. made them out. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I want to go through them quickly first, and then we're going to get to the explication of these by a guy from Paramount and he he went through them on a, a podcast Engage which is the official Star Trek podcast now there are well, ten... and we're suspicious of anything called the official yeah you know I, I'm not going to listen to it to find out because my time is limited and I'd rather mm-hmm. be watching Baffled, Baffled, a 1973 uh, failed pilot. Or working on Drunk on Vulcan. That's true. I would much rather be working on Drunk on Vulcan. Okay. So here are the guidelines for avoiding objections. The fan, number one, fan production must be less than 15 minutes for a single self-contained story or no more than two segments, not to exceed 30 minutes total. So basically, you can't make a film that's 90 minutes long. You can or make do a, a season of... 
adventures of your starship crew. Right. It just has to be self-contained and 15 minutes long. The title cannot include the name Star Trek. The title must contain a subtitle that says a Star Trek fan production in plain typeface. Notice they specify plain typeface, so you can't use the Star Trek typeface. Mm, I didn't catch on to yeah, that. That's, yeah, it's, it's there. Uh, the mm-hmm. fan production cannot use the term official in either its title or subtitle. Content must be original, uh, not reproductions, recreations, or clips from any Star Trek production. If you want to use it, you have to get permission. If the fan production uses commercially available Star Trek uniforms, accessories, toys, or props, you have to, they must be official merchandise and not bootleg items. So if, it doesn't mean you have to buy them from CBS, it just means that they have to be official. Well, then it, it, it says not bootleg or imitations. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, if they don't make an official version of the thing you want, mm. can you make your own? I don't know. That's an excellent question. Next point, the fan production must be a real fan production. I mean, they put fan in quotes, Mm -hmm. i.e. creators, actors, and all other participants must be amateurs, cannot be compensated for their services, and cannot currently or previously employed on any Star Trek series, film, production of DVDs, or with any CBS or Paramount Pictures licensees. So that's amazing to me. So they have just right there said, you can't use anybody who's ever been in Star Trek. Well, and I think this is where they could trip up. Because unless they have reached some sort of agreement with the, uh, you know, SAG and AFTRA, mm-hmm. um, I do think people who have worked on, and, and the Writers Guild, mm-hmm. um, who have worked on Star Trek, they could say, this was not in the contract I signed with you. Yeah. And that, that's the only, the only hold you have on me is that I fulfilled the obligations of that contract. You can't suddenly come in here and tell me, John DeLancey, mm-hmm. that I can't be the director of a fan film. Exactly. It's like a non-compete, right? Yes. You, you can't do non-competes when it effectively stops you from earning a living doing what you do. Exactly. So That I, was I the one that jumped out at, at me as yeah. really very on very thin ground legally although i know nothing about law i do know a little about non-competes i i do too uh, having <laughs> been through it very recently yes. here in california and especially in california oh yeah non-competes are completely non-enforceable you can't do that so mm-hmm. that's going to be weird to see how that goes and then are they going to enforce that retroactively i don't think they possibly can with all the people who have been in in star trek fan productions no so many people have been in star trek fan productions actors DC from fontana's written yeah. for them david gerald's written for them right all the actors from from tos from yes. tng William from Wyndham yeah. and uh, marlena moreau and and walter koenig walter I mean, yeah so that jumped out at me in a huge way well i know they can't do it retroactively but i I'm really wondering, can they even do it? Uh, I don't know. The thing is, who wants to be the one who tests the waters? On right, that? exactly. Yeah. Okay, the fan production must be non commercial. Uh, they do not object to limited fundraising, but the total amount can't go over $50,000. And when the $50,000 goal is reached, all fundraising must cease. So it has to be distributed on a no-charge basis, mm-hmm. like streaming. Fan production cannot be distributed in a physical format as a DVD or a Blu-ray, so they can't press anything. It cannot be used to derive advertising, like click-through banners. 
No unlicensed Star Trek related or fan production merchandise or services can be offered for sale or given away as premiums, perks, or rewards. Wow. Which is quite draconian. In, yes. I think, you know, that's what Kickstarter things kind of do. You know, you yes. get a perk and the perk is often a sticker mm-hmm. or a button or a triple or something like that. And now they're saying nothing. You can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And the fan production cannot derive revenue from selling or licensing fan created production sets, props or costumes. Number seven, it must be family friendly and suitable for public presentation. They must not include profanity, nudity, obscenity, pornography, depiction of drugs, blah, 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 like that. But those were in TOS. No. We had drugs. We had alcohol. We had semi-nudity. Mm-hmm. I, this is also very vague, right? It's like, oh, what yeah. is the definition of obscenity? Well, it's in the eye of the beholder. So mm-hmm. who gets to decide when something is obscene or whether it's family friendly. Har- harmful or illegal activity? I mean, yeah. you could say that blowing up the planet Vulcan is harmful activity. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who gets to decide? That's always the big question. Right. Point eight must display the following disclaimer saying that uh, uh, Star Trek is owned by CBS. Number nine, creators of fan productions must not seek to register their work or elements of their work under copyright or trademark law. So you can't trademark it. And number 10, fan productions cannot create or imply any association or endorsement by CBS or Paramount Pictures. So you couldn't even put something up there that says this fan film was created within the CBS guidelines. I don't think so. Yeah. No, I don't think you can. CBS and Paramount Pictures reserve the right to revise, revoke, and or withdraw these guidelines at any time in their own discretion, which is like those contracts that say effective in perpetuity throughout the universe. Yeah. (laughs) So we're putting them out there, but we can revise them at any moment. And they say they're not a license. Right. Nobody's signing these things. Nope. They are not even saying, if you follow all of these, we won't sue you. Mm -hmm. So this is just a piece of crap. Yeah. But it's there, right? It's, yes. They don't, I don't want to use the word threat, but it is quite threatening. Yes. Because they're saying if you don't follow these guidelines, something bad will happen to you. You know, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a nice fan film you've got there. Be a shame if something were to happen to it. Yeah. So following up from that, this yes. dude, and let me find this dude's name. Where is it? Some guy. Here we go. So this is at Axa Monitor, my favorite website. This guy named John Van Sitters, who's CBS Vice President of Product Development for CBS Consumer Products. So let me just pause for a second and say, this is the guy who's talking about the guidelines for fan films. He's not like a creative vice president or something. Mm -hmm. He's the vice president of product development for CBS Consumer Products. That makes me feel... Well, I think consumer products are... Bobbleheads? No, it's it's TV series. Those are products. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Which is kind of icky. I don't know. So he's not a creative person, but he's in charge of product development. Right. And he's not a lawyer either, apparently. But he plays one on the internet. He plays one on the internet. Okay. Okay. So he goes through some of these things and provides a little bit of clarification. So it says, let me see this. Uh, 
he says, for many years, we used a simple guideline, CBS and Paramount in cooperation on this, which is a Star Trek fan film is a fan creation that is non-commercial. Well, we thought this was simple enough and helped filmmakers understand the separation we need to keep between professional content and fan films. It's become increasingly clear not everyone is clear on where that line is. So he talked a little bit about the crowdfunding, about mm -hmm. the, the physical items that you can't do anymore. He says, fan productions have spiraled into something larger and larger, that it had become something of an arms race about how many Hollywood names could be attached. That's not really in the spirit of fan fiction. The guidelines. By We're not talking about fan fiction, mister. Yeah, so this is interesting. They keep sliding in the term fan fiction uh -huh. in a lot of places, and I don't know why he does that, but I'm wondering if it's some kind of attempt to maybe start pushing this into the realm of actual fan fiction as opposed to fan films, which are um, very different. I don't know. I, or it could be they're just so stupid they don't know the difference. This is possible. I, I couldn't read into this to de decide why mm -hmm. he said fan fiction. Or, right. or, yeah, maybe he's just too stupid. So he says, the guidelines, by prohibiting that kind of competition by involving industry professionals, level the playing field for newer and smaller fan productions. So it's all for us, the fans. Yeah, How so that's, sweet. that's such a bunch of crap. Yeah. <laughs> for so many reasons. You know, the, the big productions like Renegades and even Axanar before things got crappy, in no way prevented anybody from doing anything that was a smaller fan production i don't think anybody thought about it that way Who it's like that? he's trying to say in the universe there's a limited number mm -hmm. of ideas yeah exactly it's the zero-sum <laughs> game there yes. can only be so many all at one time it's right. so stupid so you can't be greedy <laughs> with creativity <laughs> When I see people say stuff like that, it just makes me distrust them instantly. Oh, oh instantly. Yeah, I can see him twirling his mustache. Oh, it, it's just as much as they're trying to present themselves as reasonable, it really comes off like they're just saying they're making stuff up and they're thinking that we're going to buy it because we're stupid somehow. Mm -hmm. How many people out there in, in the world of Star Trek fan fiction and fan productions are in their lives lawyers and business people and entrepreneurs and people who are creative in other things you or can't... people who are are excuse me although unknown to the general public actors writers yeah. directors who do this you know as a creative outlet uh, so but don't they also us, work please. in the field yeah don't say stuff like that it makes you look it makes you look stupid. Yes. He says that while the guidelines restrictions may seem counterintuitive, I don't know why you'd think that, they are meant to protect fan films for the long term and to cure some abuses that have been out there and to refocus this around the fan experience, around creating more stories than this kind of arms race about talent and fundraising it. So let's see. He says they are intended, the guidelines are intended to give something to be something that gives structure, that gives people the limits under which they can operate. Here's what you can do to keep yourself as a non-commercial entity and respect the professional Star Trek that we are working on and hopefully have a great deal of fun. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. He said, CBS would not seek to take down already produced fan films available for streaming or download that don't conform to the guidelines. Only productions created henceforward. So that's what they say. 
CBS will not review scripts, casting, or other creative choices, including finished films. We're not looking to micromanage your production, he says. So long as the films posted abide by the guidelines, there should be no problems. As far as enforcement goes, the studios don't plan any kind of formal policing effort, being willing to consider production's interpretations on a case-by-case -case basis. Here's an interesting sidelight. Audio dramas are not addressed by this guideline. They apply only to video presentation, including animation and even slideshows. Wow. So as, long, as long as there's a video or, or a visual aspect to it, it applies, mm -hmm. but not to audio drama. So that's hmm. interesting. There's some stuff about the crowdfunding. I don't think this really clarifies things very much. Props and costumes. Many people misconstrued the way the guidelines address props and costumes. Many initially believed the guidelines mandated props and costumes be purchased from CBS licensees. He said homemade props and costumes were okay, but if a film were to purchase props and costumes, they must buy them from licensed sources. He said we're not looking to get rid of the DIY ethic of Star Trek. So... You can make it yourself, but if you don't make it yourself, you have to buy them from CBS licensees. Mm -hmm. So what happens if you buy them from somebody who makes them, who makes homemade costumes that they like to wear for cosplay? Does that count? As being allowed? I'd As, say is no. that allowed? Yeah. I'd say no. Well, that's stupid. Okay. Uh, running time limits, drugs, alcohol use... This is so funny. The guideline that seems to prohibit any kind of drug or alcohol use is only meant to prevent Star Trek from being associated with activities that damage Trek, but it is not meant to stifle fans' exploration of societal issues. Quote, we're not the hand of Q coming down and dictating what you can do in your story. We're not looking into your business creatively, he said. No, not at all. Not at all. No, no. And finally, CBS and Paramount do not own the rights to Star Trek music and therefore cannot grant them to film productions. If a film wants to use Jerry Goldsmith's Klingon themes, for example, he said producers will need to secure those rights directly from the music publisher. So they can't do anything about the music, and if you use it, you have to do that yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is the best part. Van Sitter said these guidelines were not connected to the ongoing settlement talks between the studios and Axanar. <laughs> they just happened to come they up right just, now. This memo's been laying around CBS for ever. Complete coincidence. Complete coincidence. And finally, he indicated the studios may revisit guidelines after seeing how they work in practice. We're not issuing these as fan film laws. They are fan film guidelines. We'll continue the dialogue with fans. He said he was confident about the creativity fan producers could cultivate under these guidelines and that short-form stories could be very powerful. Okay, that last paragraph is actually true. Mm, that's true. Yeah, sure. And it, it brings me to what David Gerald had to say. Please tell us what David Gerald had to say. He said, I am not going to name any names, but I have been talking to a lot of people, and I will just say... Fans are a lot more imaginative than lawyers. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I think we will see a lot of new and interesting stuff coming out of this. But I, I am just amazed at the disingenuousness of, the, of this whole interview with this dude. This, uh, yes. This guy. My mouth is hanging open when you said that because I agree so strongly. It's... <laughs> 
it's it it gobsmacks me. It really does. Yes. That they're really, you know, that he goes so far as to say, oh, they're not laws. Well, come on. If if you're saying, if you're implying that if people don't follow the guidelines, you're going to take them down, it's kind of a law, isn't it? It's no, kind it's of, not a law. It's uh, a threat. It's a threat. Okay, it's a that threat. That is yeah. what it is. But really, because they are not in a position to make laws. Okay, yes, that's that's right. But it is a threat, and it's for your own good, so you should just shut up and do it. The for your own good is the part that really grinds my ass. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. So I'm glad that we talked a little bit about this whole thing about the, the um, people who have previously participated in Star Trek not being able to do it. Mm-hmm. That seems like a huge point. I hadn't really thought about it until we were just d- discussing it right now. Mm. I to am, me, that jumped out right away. Yeah. So I'm very curious now to see if, if SAG or the Writers Guild or anybody has some kind of official statement on this because I can imagine that people, the writers and actors and producers and everybody else, people who compose music and make costumes, will be mm-hmm. going to their unions to get clarification on this. And I, I just don't think that that can hold up legally. Well, I'm not a member of any of the performers' unions, but I do know, and this is... um. It's true of, of, I believe, all of the performers' unions that they do have clauses. You know, one of the big things is that if you're hiring actors, you have to pay them. But they do have clauses where actors can do showcases and things like this or things where you get paid $5 a performance because it is a a, a chance to practice your craft, to be Mm -hmm. seen, things like that, that, you know, you can volunteer to build sets at your local community theater or things like that. They have clauses like that. You know, so mm-hmm. it can't be that every time you recite a line, you're getting paid the SAG minimum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this, this might almost be in direct conflict with those things because those, yeah. I believe, are spelled out pretty damn clearly. And I, I, as they always say, you know, lawyers look to the edge cases to, mm-hmm. to see. So, okay, what if, what if you were in one of the Star Trek movies? What if you were in the first Star Trek movie? So famously in, in the motion picture, they use lots of fans, right? To yes. fill out those crowd scenes. They didn't That's get paid. Right. They didn't get anything. They just yeah, got B. to Yeah, B. Joe Trimble's in, in that. Yeah. That's right. And I don't think she got a paycheck for that. She probably no. got... You know, maybe she got to keep the costume or they got... Got autographs. And, they got autographs and stuff. <laughs> Does that mean that she could never be in one of these fan films, even though she was not compensated for Uh being in a Star uh Trek production? Yeah. What about that? What about Bill's daughters? Yeah. Who were in In, uh, the Miri episode. That's right. What about them? Could they never be in something? And, And what if it's something where you were an actor in a Star Trek production and now you are switching and you are composing music? Yes. Does it apply there? You never composed music for Star Trek before, mm-hmm. but you appeared in it as an actor. Does that now mean that you are banned from doing anything in a fan production? Yeah. And that seems ridiculous. How can mm-hmm. you how can you do that? How can you make that that threat? <laughs> yeah, they are really trying to well, put an iron curtain between yeah. the fans and the the creative types. Who, who worked on, on the shows and everything. Are they next going to, to uh, ask for a cut of the money these people get in cash for autographs at the uh, cons? Yeah. 
or or for things that happen at cons they they still have sometimes dramatic readings or or performances mm-hmm. that people do is that now is that going to fall right, under this as well right. so it's weird that they they ex um excluded thank you that's the word i was looking for the audio dramas why did yeah. they exclude the audio dramas is it just because of the costumes and the visual aspect of it that, that seems like a strange way to do this mm-hmm. or do they just think there are too many podcasts that they can't go after i'm thinking of the people who do improvised track right and right you know what about the people who did the complete works of William Shatner? <laughs> a bridge. A bridge. You know, I love does that, that so much. That's not a fan film, but it's certainly a fan production. And mm-hmm. would, would that now be barred under this? Mm-hmm. It's not an audio drama. It's a live stage performance, but it clearly is Star Trek. It uses yep. characters and props and every. I don't know. I wanted. I want them to. I want people to test this. I mean, I don't want to be the one to test it, but no. I do want people to go out there and find out where the boundary actually is. Mm-hmm. I want to know if any of this would hold up. Mm. I doubt. Well, I don't know. Because they're saying it's not a license. It's yeah. one thing if you write to them and say, I want to license some of your stuff to do this. And they and your lawyers work out a license agreement. Mm -hmm. This isn't something anybody has agreed to. And that's what makes it a threat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unilateral. Yes. They've just come down and said that this is the way it will go. Mm -hmm. This is all really new. So all of this stuff with the guidelines and this interview just happened within uh, like the last week or so. Yeah. So I haven't seen a lot of legal analysis or, people from unions for example commenting mm-hmm. on this but i think there will probably be a lot of that going forward and yeah i really want to know as you say is this enforceable at all especially are we the, the going are to actors. see something like a star trek blacklist <laughs> where wow. dc fontana has a story she wants to get out there and for some reason the the powers that be don't want it because they're all invested in this other crap um, so she gets, hires somebody else to say, I wrote it and I've submitted it to these fan productions. Hmm. Cause that's how many, many writers got around the blacklist was either through hiring somebody to be their front person yeah. or writing them under a phony name. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely, wow. A Star Trek blacklist. How interesting. I've just been well, listening. Well, that's basically what they're saying. Yeah, they are. I, I've just been listening to a really interesting podcast, uh, about Hollywood and they've just covered the blacklist and it's been mm-hmm. really interesting to to hear how it started and how it was affected and how things went on after it and I don't think I had realized how well I knew that it had destroyed a lot of people's careers but mm-hmm. the, the blacklist was about what people said about you rather than what you'd actually done yes it was it was pervasive yeah it was all about rumors yes yes and it was you know um it was and the thing is you you could maybe have let's say gone to some communist party meetings when you were 18 and now you're 40 but that's it yep you know yeah 
So here's one thing that happened really recently. I follow a Terry Farrell uh, who played Jezia Dax mm -hmm. on DS9 because she's pretty funny. And she was going to appear in Star Trek Renegades as that character. She was mm. going to play that character again. And so just the other day, she's, someone tweeted to her, is Renegades going to be affected by the new rules CBS and Paramount have, it, have concerning fan films? And she said, yes, it was inevitable. So they're going to continue to make Renegades. It's not going to be called Star Trek Renegades. It's just going to be called Star Trek, uh, Renegades, rather. And they are detrekking it. So her wow. new name is not Jadzia. It's going to be Jada, J-A-D-A. Wow. So they just, the Renegades people were like, screw this. We don't want to deal with it. Well, Let's just detrek it. A good amount of the books that are on the science fiction shelves right now are detracked fanfic and yeah. you can tell when you read the back covers mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah so uh, let's see going forward how many of the fan films decide to just detrack and become science fiction stories that aren't set in the trek universe even mm -hmm. but that's the weird thing about it it's they're detracking, but it's all surface, right? Because everybody knows they're Star Trek. Yes. What's the point? <laughs> you have Star Trek Renegades, which stars Tim Russ and Walter Koenig and Terry Farrell and some other people. On a spaceship. On a spaceship. <laughs> exploring strange new worlds and seeking out new life and new civilizations. But it's not called Star Trek. Therefore, it's not Star Trek. That just seems insane to me. Hey, do you think now somebody will film um, the the Star Trek episode that was written by the cloud creature in uh, 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 Futurama? <laughs> With his ship that, that he, loves he loves like a like woman. a woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the funniest episodes of TV, I swear. Oh, it is. It really is. The fact that they got Bill to do it and deliver that line <laughs> with such contempt dripping from his voice. I know. And, and resignation. Contempt yes. and resignation all at the yes. same time. Yes, yes. <laughs> so funny. Okay. Well, there we go. That is everything up to date on um, fan films, and I'm sure there will be a lot more forthcoming from oh, that yes. topic in oh, the months, yes. months to come. So, if, listeners, if you would like to weigh in on this, because we'd love to hear what you think, and mm -hmm. if, if any of you are experts in the kind of entertainment law that we've just been discussing and would like to give us your professional opinion, we would love to hear it. Well, yes, if you feel that, and if you feel because of the profession you're in, that you are affected by this, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're an actor, you're a composer who, you know, you know, notated somebody else's stuff on the set or whatever. We want to know about it. Do you feel like you're, you're affected or restricted or... Uh, you know, in any way, or if you're, if you're work, if you have worked with any of the fan film people. So, okay. Marco Grand. Yeah. What is he going to do? Like when he gets asked to do a slideshow, to do a slideshow, or when he gets asked to, to come up with some new words in Klingon uh -huh. for somebody who's doing a, a fan film or something, does he have to turn them down? Yeah. I, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to email him about that. I we should we should doing. ask um, John. Is it John Okuda? To Michael Okuda. Michael Okuda. Who am I thinking of? 
Who's know. our friend who's the college teacher? Oh, John Tenuto. Tenuto. God, I had Tenuto in my brain, and Okuda came out my mouth. We should ask him, too, because obviously he's doing slideshows, and he is a professor, and he is getting paid. That's true. Email him. Ask him. Yeah. Are we going to see him in Chicago? Is he going to be there? I don't know. I have to find out. No. Well, if he is, let's sit down and talk with him about this, because I would love to know what he thinks. Yes, yes. Mm. But I find that comment of David Gerald's pretty interesting. Yeah. I agree. I think people will find new and creative ways to do it, but I I also think there's going to be a lot of challenges to it, Mm -hmm. and these guidelines could look very, very different in a year. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think we need to wrap this up. I think we do, too. Because people are probably tired by now, and they've finished their workout on the elliptical or walking their dog (laughs) or whatever thing they do. We are the best thing to listen to when you're doing stuff like that. I swear. It's or true. if you're at, if you're delayed at the airport, an episode of look at your look at his butt. Yes, it's good. I, you know, I listen to our show sometimes when I'm doing the dishes. I find it makes it go a lot faster. <laughs> oh boy, it's true. Listeners, when do you listen to our show? I yes. would really like to know. I, That's I know something we have never asked. Some people have told us that they listen to it while they're at work because uh, there are jobs where you're doing something mm-hmm. sort of you know repetitive where you don't right. need to have a, a severe focus on what you're doing. But I would love to know when people listen to the show. And I know one or two people have said they listen like during their commute. Mm-hmm. That you know it's it's um, that. That's when they do it. That's when they uh, like to do it. But we would love to know. I would. It would be great. So we'll put it on the Facebook page, and and everybody can chime in because we'd love yeah, to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when when do you look at his butt? When do you look at his butt? <laughs> well, all the time, obviously. Obviously, obviously. Oh. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this time around. Please do send us email, comment on the Facebook pages, or tweet at us because we would love to hear what's going on. Yes. And we will be back in several weeks with another show, and there will be so much to talk about. And then September, it's coming up soon, man. Woohoo! It's going to be great. Till next time. Live long and potluck. Yeah, live long and potluck. Bye. Bye. <laughs>